Spin Run, the RPG talk show podcast. Welcome to UConn 2016's OSR panel. Tonight we will be discussing old school design aesthetics and what it means to people at the table. This year we are being recorded by uh, Drink Spin Run, and you will be able to uh, download the podcast once it gets released. There you have it. Um, introduce us. Probably better. Going around the table, we have Bill Webb, president of Frog Eyed Games, Stacy Delarfano of Contessa, and the new developer. It was developer. Design and Development <laughs> on, <laughs> on, uh, like the, on the uh, new printing of Swords and Wizardry. Brendan LaSalle of Goodman Games, of uh, X Crawl fame. How do? <laughs> Don Stroud of Drink Spin Run will be recording and uh, helping me co-host this panel. And I am Ryan Thompson, the OSR track coordinator for UConn. Where do you want to start? So, <laughs> uh, let's, let's start going on the table. Okay. We'll start. Uh, sure. I mean, I can dissertate for days, so anybody interrupt me at any time. But if you guys have questions at any time or comments or thoughts or something you want to know about, uh, absolutely pipe in, you know. Yep. Um, don't be shy. And, we, uh, we always take questions from the audience at this that, panel. That. Um, so I'll, uh, let's start with um, Team Frog God because the, the the little bit of controversy that arose out of the internet presence of the OSR is one of the things that sparked me to actually bring this conversation to you. Sure. I guess let me let me start out a little bit on that, and I'll let Stacy talk to this more than myself. But um, one of the things uh, Stacy had talked to Matt Finch. Matt Finch is the author, sorts of was um, about having a not 50-year-old white guy uh, version of our game. And and uh, I, I actually kind of balked at it at first. I'm like, come on, we don't need another version of this. We reprint the old one. And, and I, my home game that I run um, pretty much weekly uh, has four teenage girls uh, from age uh, 14 to 17. And it has four, four younger boys, four, four older girls and four younger brothers, basically. So it's about my main home, home group. It's my goddaughters and my godsons and my, do- my son and daughter. And uh, I actually asked the girls... Um, I said, what do you think about that? And my daughter looks at it and she goes, well, yeah. She goes, you know, uh, that'd be really nice. And my goddaughter, who's um, uh, uh, a little more, I guess, um, socially active than my daughter is, uh, immediately says, well, Bill. She goes, you know, Uncle Bill. You know, she goes, all this stuff is written and, and directed and art laid out and everything else to appeal to men. And, uh, and she's like, you know, she's like, you know, she goes, we don't, I don't really care that much because it's still a really fun game. But yeah, that'd be a really great idea. And so I called Matt back and said, make it, you know, make it so. Um, and uh, and we, we brought Stacy in to do it. And I, I think, uh, you know, the results are clear. I mean, we, you know, we, we had a, a combined total between electronic format and, and dead two books. I think we probably had 2,000 books we sold um, in, a, in a Kickstarter where we did more thousands of dollars than the book costs in dollars. Um, and we were giving away the PDFs for a buck because we, could, we had to charge. Um, so it was extremely successful. Yeah, over um, 1,200? Yeah, 1,200 backers. Uh, and the work the Stacey and her design team did were really cool. There were some very bizarre comments that came in that I thought were kind of bizarre about the, the cover art because different people see different things and stuff. I saw I saw Ender's Game and kind of a dragon skull and stuff like that. But um, but why don't you go ahead? This is your this was your show, kid. You talked about it. Oh, man. Um, I, there were actually two different covers. The, the, the first cover was a little bit more... 
like what you would expect to see on an oak. Um, and and it was actually like Bill and Matt and a few other people who said, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're trying to mimic the exact same thing that everyone's doing. You're trying to, to give people what they want, create something that you want. And um, I had like a lot of people who are like Raj, you know, Zach, Zach Sabbath. I mean, I had all of these people coming to me and saying the exact same, don't do what we want, do what you want. So, you know, I went back to it and, you know, after a couple of, of looks at it, I was like, okay, well, I'm not really all that metal, so let's go goth because, you know, I grew up in the 90s, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s, and we were all goth and real, but you know, that was it. And, and I really love um, the idea of an abstract cover, or a more abstract, it's not entirely abstract, it definitely is something we see, um, but then a, then a really specific picture of the adventurers doing a thing. So you can actually, the idea that I had for it was the whole... The biggest and most important thing I think to OSR gaming is that you can create anything you, you dream of, anything that you want. The rule system is really super simple. You know, I mean, you can you can create that into anything. And I wanted to to actually push forward the, that idea to people so that you wouldn't have this really specific vision of what it is expecting to see, but that instead you create your own vision. And then I followed through with that in the interior of the book as well to actually to, to pull in different artists that do in different styles. Many of them had never done anything for role playing before. I gave them the PDF. Of the, of the original one. I gave pages they were working on. They all had to learn what role-playing games were in order to actually illustrate. And that's kind of part of why we got such a very different feel and a very different kind of experience from it. And I'm really pleased with it. So it came out. I, at first, I was like, oh, I like it. But then as we went, kept going on, I'm like, I'm really falling in love with this. This is really amazing. I'm really making something that I love. And that's apparently shown through. <laughs> yeah, maybe we did. And, uh, you know, the, and the idea here was... Oh, go ahead. Most surprising thing... Um, well, Angela Reza's, um the way that, that she did, two, two of her full pages that, that she did for us, three, um, were just, she had this incredible feel for texture. And she actually brought in, I mean, we do a lot of, when OSR, it's a lot of um, Western European medieval, right? And I specifically art directed towards, let's let's throw in some other cultures, or, you know, it's still basically that's what we're doing, but, you know, let's throw in some other kind of feels in there. So she's that, there's, there's there's a little bit of an Asian feel to mage, you know, there's there's a little bit of a, of, of a different feel that you're actually getting to everything. So they actually brought in this, like, these, their own visions of what they saw in that book. And Chaos Nest, I mean, the, the, the things that she did, I, she, yeah, she's incredible work, and and the, the the pieces that she put together, they surprised me every time. You know, I didn't, I, I let the artists kind of be themselves. When I did the art direction, it was like, here's the pages that you're doing it on, so you have reference to what you know. Here's the size of, of the images that you're creating, and here's basically what I'm looking. For. And then I let them, you know, stretch their their own imagination and do what it is that they wanted, and they came out. With. Almost all of it. I actually thought I was going to have to answer a whole lot more questions about role-playing games to them than I did. I had to actually walk chaos through what a role-playing game is <laughs> first. But, and she's Italian, so there was a language barrier there, too. <laughs> but everybody got it pretty quickly, and they loved it. And all of them told me, by the way, that they wanted to do more after doing that. And see, a lot of this is the, the, the controversy, whatever you want to call it. To me, that's just because all we're trying to do is be more inclusive and bring more people into rolling dice. And that's part of the reason, like I said, we give away our rule book free. Um, we have to pay a buck to put it on the Kickstarter because we do free. But, but the, we, you know, when I was, well, a couple of you guys are almost as old. When I was your kid's age, um, <laughs> and I went to conventions, um, there might be one girl there, right? And it'd be like, maybe. And it was such a, a you know a, a male-dominated sport, if you will, that it, it and that it's just not like it's not that way. You, I credit a lot of really close friends of mine in the industry. Cole Andrews has made a huge difference. Um, uh, Lisa Stevens has probably made a bigger difference than anybody in 
expanding my customer base by 51%. I kind of appreciate that, quite honestly. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it was never intended as a, this is the pink version of the game. It was, it was supposed to be, okay, this is a version that was designed by women, let's see how it rolls. And, uh, and yeah, pretty good. I mean, even, even a couple of the, the crunchiest grognards that I know um, bought the $225 pledge in the end. Um, they, they, a couple of them bitched and moaned. There were a couple of guys I talked to and said, be nice, you know, don't, don't, you know, you don't have to buy it. You know, you've already got the Aero Otis cover and the stuff that all looks like it was done in 1981 because it was done by a bunch of guys who started designing books back in 1981. And, uh, and uh, you know, and they were, they promised they'd be good. They were nice and they were. And I, I, I appreciate our audience and our, our fans tremendously because of that um, but all but uh, the, the four, four uh, of the guys that um, I got a golden grognard award at Gen Con one year they gave me a, they gave me a medal for being the golden grognard because I don't need rules and, um, and uh, uh, the, the other the other four guys that probably have earned that title more than me um, like I said all four of them man the $225 pledge so it was like <laughs> you know it's like oh, victory is mine <laughs> and, um, and um, you know it really is but so that that sort of addresses the controversy thing the other thing we, I think we should talk about, many, many of you probably want to hear, and I, I'm actually really curious to see what everybody says about this, is is what what what's an, what makes an OSR game or or the old old school style differently than is different than say Pathfinder or Fifth Edition D&D and that kind of thing? Is that sort of on everyone's agenda here? Well, that, that's sort of a question that I was trying to raise with the people as I was catching the the planners online with book launches. Well, it, it doesn't capture the feel of what I think it was. Well, if you're looking at a nostalgic point of view, do you consider the Black Hack to be OSR? Because right. most people do, and there's nothing yeah. about that that looks like it was made in 1981. You know, do you consider Lamentations of the Flame Princess to be OSR? Because some of it maybe, but for the most part, it uses a far cleaner, more modern art style than Not cleaner. any. <laughs> <laughs> Not in that respect. <laughs> James's work is great, but it's almost one step off a tentacle porn, dude. <laughs> yeah. No. You know, absolutely nothing about that it is yeah. old school in its aesthetic. If you're strictly saying things that were put out by TSR, you know, before 1985 is what we're calling OSR. So that was definitely one of the questions that I posed to people, and yeah. I just got a bunch of non-answers back. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, so has anybody got questions on look and feel, or should we, we can move on to content, or you, you two better say something here. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to be pushing a DCC version of yeah, X-Crawl, DCC which of X-Crawl. I'm assuming is going to have different art than the standard Kovacs style uh, to capture the feel yes, of X-Crawl, mm-hmm. but it'll still, I assume, because it's be considered old school. Well, uh, you know, we'll see. We're, we're just in the stage now where we're just starting to talk about the art that will be in new... Um, they're calling it X-Crawl Classics, new version of X-Crawl with the new rules. And um, the, um, you know, in, in the original days of... Uh, early days of X-Crawl, I really wanted... A, a, you know, X-Crawl is a pretty slick modern game of all things. So I really wanted that look to be super clean and super slick. Um, but we had a really small budget, so we did the best we could. I think the, the Chris Apple covers had that aesthetic. They really were very, like, you know, very clean, you know, I don't, not photorealistic, but like, you know, very much um, nothing ambiguous to them. There wasn't that kind of like strange fantasy um, version. Um, and in the old days, that was great. But then, like, you know, the, I, you know, the, the rules changed. You know, I couldn't, uh, you know, originally it was done for the 3.0 rule set and 3.5. And then there was a moment where we were almost going to go to fourth edition. And then the license precluded us. I know. Uh, you know it's, a, it's such a long story. And I actually didn't get my whiskey yet. So, you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, hey. Dude, dude. Um, and, uh, I got another bottle. 
<laughs> oh, what the heck. Um, but the, uh, um, the long story short of that is that now we're going into this next step. Now, the, the rules are taking kind of an OSR turn. Obviously, we're going to go with Dungeon Call Classic rules, which are, you know, stripped down, you know, you know, um, some elements of the modern, but really a much more rules light thing, and much more ha- it's much more bent towards one of the, the most important things of OSR. I think you know you're going to actually define it into terms, which is um, you know rulings and not rules, which is at, you know at the table um, and set up for it. And that is the part that really like I was doing that anyway with any system I was playing, but now I have a system that really, as far as DCC goes, that really like has opened that field up entirely. And like I was resistant to do another version of the rules mostly because I just didn't want to do another version of the rules you know I was you know I the 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 like I you know the Pathfinder rules um, when we had to move to those that, that was fun it was, it, was a, it was a good challenge it took me a year to like really really learn Pathfinder well enough where I could design it and to come up with the classes and sort of like the new you know rules aesthetic and um and it was a, you know, like I, I had a, a version of it done, and then uh, I saw so much of that, so much of the things I did repeated when the um, official rule books came out and such that uh, that uh, uh, I, ha- I went back to the drawing board and started all over again. I'm much happier with it now. But mostly, it was just it was just kind of like a resistance to coming up with a, yet another version of the rules. But the more I played DCC, the more I saw that kind of like over the top action and that that ability to go quickly and to be nimble at the table as a GM and not have to like be like flipping through pages and slowing it down. It's amazing now how many more encounters I can get through. Um, you know how many how much more actual like how much we can get the rules aside and leave more rule more more, more room for role playing and more room for the kind of that over the top action that I have always associated with X crawl. Yes, question. Or DCC. I did, did full Aster. Yeah. And sure. And I was yeah. Let, me, let me interject on that. That's, people ask me, I, I, I've, I've had as many as 35 people, and people ask me, oh my God, how the hell do you do that? And it's because it's fast. It's fast. Because it's, I just, you know, go around the table, mm-hmm. there's so few rules, the encounter the encounter dynamics go very fast, yeah. very rapidly, it's easy to deal with. Just not, uh, 35 is, I've only done that a couple of times. I'm good, I'm, I actually, I start to effectiveness at about 20, but up to 20 is no big deal at all. Sweet. So, um, okay, about the uh, the rules. This is what I found about like going to an OSR rule set. The better your players are, the better like well, the people they are to game with, the less rules you you know. Um, you really you really only need a very technical rule set for that kind of player that is going to. Um, like just try to try to overrule you by going to the book and saying, well, no, this is what how it actually goes. Look, that's how it's written down and such. One of the things I have found about OSR in general, for whatever whatever you're using it for, and now I've played with the same rules for like cowboy adventures, for pirate, we use, you know, if you mutant crawl classics, which I'm working on now, um, is that the OSR rules it self-selects for the best players. Um, the kind of players that want to sit around and number crunch and come up with like a really crazy, you know, like just you know, just find a way to tweak their character so that they never lose and that they have everything stacked in their favor and such. They're not going to be so interested in a game that it's much more random and much more, you know, um, left to chance where you can die and it's more about clever play than like clever number crunching. And um, they you know, exclude themselves from OSR games because it doesn't have that aspect to it. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, knocking that style of play. I love sitting around and working with characters. I love making up Pathfinder characters, but for the life of me, I could never play Pathfinder again. And still work on Pathfinder characters and still enjoy that aspect of it and just, just to see what I can come up with, but not actually do it. I have a question. 
that was, that game was unplayable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> remember that game? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, Zipper and Sorcery worked fine as long as you didn't make a wizard. <laughs> but it was like, wow, or, you know. Or, uh, or Rollmaster, yeah. You know? Rollmaster, yeah. I always tell the story of my one time I played Rollmaster, and me and me and three other very experienced gamers, we spent four hours making our characters up. Totally. And like, I could tell you my percentage chance at wrestling and boxing, what I knew about growing crops and such. So we, we made up our guys, took it all of an afternoon, we sit down to play. The four of us encounter five orcs, and after a three-hour battle with more critical hits than I could shake a stick at, the, the three of or the four of our young men, every one of us had broken a hip. Um, and yeah. was, that was the end of our adventuring careers because God, there yeah. was no healing and we had broken hips. And it was like, well, I guess I'll go and limp around the farm and just do my best to raise crops because I've done adventuring. You know, it's, it was, you know, it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, ex- like, like, to me, that's not, you know, it's, it's, it can be too realistic, you know, it, it can be too exacting and such. And I would rather be realistic from a narrative sense where you're just like discussing like, like quickly on the fly without going to tables and such. Just saying, okay, you rolled this badly. You took this much damage. This is what happened to your to your character. Very like the good players are going to take that from a GM. Good GMs are going to use that, but not abuse that, not make it an awful experience. Rather, use it to enhance the game and such. So OSR, I think, winds up self-selecting for a kind of player that wants to play fast and loose, really involved in story more than rules. And that is, to me, like this is this is where I am right now, game, and I love it. I have another question. Sure. Yeah. You know, there ain't no spot here. checks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, all these different. Okay. You're... Sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot easier to introduce new players to a simpler system, a system that is more about storytelling. And if you can, you know, that's really all you're doing. You, you strip it down to its base level, and it's it's you know all of us telling a story together. And if you don't add a lot of you know the, the less technical stuff there, the easier it is to to add new people. So, you know. So I'm wondering. Uh, so. What does that change look like, uh, GM Because it's a lot harder. You, exactly. Uh, running running an OSR game, and um, this is something that uh, I'll just explain this the way I did it. So my kids are really accomplished game masters, right? And they run games for all their friends. They run games at cons. Hell, they're special guests at cons occasionally. They're eleven and fourteen, right? Um, I taught them how to play Pathfinder so that they could learn how something with a lot of rules and kind of get the mechanics of how stuff worked, and then. I actually remember having that discussion with my son about you have to learn how to play this first. And then once you learn how to DM it, not play it. You don't even play an OSR game. You need to learn how to DM this first. When you, when you can DM this for your friends, I'll, you know, you'll be able to, you'll be ready to, to DM a, uh, an OSR game. And he's like, he didn't understand it because while the players, the entry, the entry price, if you will, from a, a knowledge and understanding standpoint is much lower from a DM, it's a lot higher because, you know, when you go and you say, I mean, uh, you know, you, the players turn left. Oh God, what do I do now? You know, you thought they were going to go right. All the clues, all the stuff told them to go right. Well, you don't have anything planned for left, so you have to be able to improvise that. You have to be able to roll with the, roll with the punches a lot as a DM. It's much harder to run an OSR game. Here's a follow up question: Is there anything you guys can do as author and publisher to help facilitate that transition more uh, form style of I mean that uh, is much more difficult. Yes. I think um, we've done a couple of things and one of these is free on our website. Um, it's called a, an old school primer and it's sort of it's written by Matt Finch and it's a really good uh, 
uh, really good, I got a dissertation or whatever, about ages long or something, that talks about how to run an old school game and that kind of thing, what the difference is and how, how to make that happen. I wrote a book called The Book of Dirty Tricks. It's got some stuff in it that is DM advice um, on how to run an old school game. We've also got, uh, in a couple of our modules, I think in Hall of Bones, which is one I did for Free RPG Day a couple of years ago, um, that's got a, a discussion of how to, how to do it. Um, but really there isn't any, the, the real answer is there's not any really right way to do it. Yeah. If everybody's having fun, and you're doing stuff, you know, I would recommend you try 25 or 30 people the first try, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, after 40 years, I'm, I'm pretty qualified, I think. Um, but uh, there, are, there is some stuff we've done. I don't know if you guys have done anything about how to run, how to run an OSR game out there or not. Well, we haven't. Done, we do a lot of things on, on game design. Um, we do a lot of seminars. We've done a couple of different books on like how to, you know, design that, and it, that always touches on running a game because you know, you know, improv. When you're improving a game and such, really, that's just game design on the fly. You know, so we we've addressed it, but we never like directly like that. You know, maybe that's something we should do in the future. Yeah, you know? I mean, has anybody ever been in one of my games here? I know you have. Yeah. I know Stacy. A couple of you guys have. I mean, I I, uh, I told the story earlier, but the risk of repeating myself, I'll tell it again. Um, I got woken out of a hungover stupor at eight in the morning. For a game that I at 7:45 in the morning for a game I thought was at night at Gen Con a couple years ago, <laughs> and uh, I got dragged down to this thing, unshowered, still kind of drunk, and all I had with me was two dice, uh, and I had a 20 set of dice and I have a six set of dice. And anyone who's thrown me knows I carry those gigantic dice around, right? And um, that's the only thing I really need for a game. I, I can I can literally run uh, I can run an eight-hour game with those two dice because um, it's just I've trained myself to improv everything. Part of that's because I publish a lot of stuff. And so if I publish something, odds are one of you guys has read it. And so if you show up at a con and you're playing in a game that you've read, that sucks for you. Uh, and kind of sucks for the other players because maybe you know that maybe you know that the plus two blue dragon slaying sword is hidden under the rock and that's how you get out of the thing, right? Um, and so uh, the, the, uh, the, the real key is being able to improv um, is a big skill that you have to have to run an OSR game because you're not railroading players. So I, I did a I did a joke about that using that old Grateful Dead song. It's actually somebody else's song, but in the, in the beginning of my Sword of Air book, where it's like you know, the adventure in Sword of Air. The book's 550 pages. The adventure is 11 pages. All the rest of it is stuff. There's encounters and dungeons, clues here and there, and wilderness lairs and, and stuff like that. But the adventure's 11 pages, describes all the different stuff, and it says, okay, now it's up to you to figure out how to piece all this together because I'm not going to tell you. Because if I tell you, then it defeats the purpose of what we're trying to do here. And so it really is a, it's, I like the concept of ruling, not rules. Um, I like the concept of the player character heroes, so you don't have Man Shun on his dragon rescuing you from getting eaten by whatever it is. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, and, and, and a lot of it is um, the DM has to make it where the, it's character-centric and focused on the characters doing what they want to do. And, and also there's risk. Characters can die. Though technically last night I didn't even kill everybody. I turned them all into wraiths. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I was and I wanted to make it because I realized now why I love the, the cover that was really kind of uh, um, it's because I was trying to think of like one word to describe it, and that's ethereal, mm -hmm. because it's very uh, it, it interpreted. And so you realize that that sort of drives a common theme, freeform interpreting, steering the content in any direction that you want to, and anywhere is right. Well, you know, and that's just it. We had a guy um, who's working for me on another project right now uh, named James Spawn, and uh, James took our rules for Swords and Wizardry, and he turned it into a really good space game. 
called White Star. I don't know if anybody's got that or seen it. Mm -hmm. We actually had a game of that run uh, and, uh, this room today. And uh, it's it's an excellent game. And uh, now I'm doing something. I'm doing something a little different because I don't want. I don't. Well, we're going to be doing some Starfinder books, but I can't talk anything about it because of the EA. In fact, we're doing put it that way. Um, and uh, we're licensing that for Pathfinder. At least we're going to have a Starfinder. And so I hired James. Guess what? Tome of Aliens, right? Of course. Uh, and we'll probably. I'm not sure my business partner agree with me. We'll probably be seeing all this stuff for Starfinder. Or not for Starfighter, for you know White Star, because um, it's a it's a you know white box for of uh, of uh, space game. Um, but yeah, I mean you can do anything you want with it. I mean I've seen. I mean you know you look at the old days. They had a Wild West game. They had. I mean I don't know if anybody saw those old folios and stuff for like you know back when before Boot Hill actually had rules. It's a little folio game that like Greyhawk. Uh, before uh, um, I mean the early Traveler rules. You know, well, Mark got pretty pretty complicated with his rules. Yeah, if you could survive and create character, character creation, you were doing pretty good. Um, and uh, But really, that's just exactly it. You, you, you nailed it on the head. It's, you can take it whatever direction you want. I mean, my games frequently had, you know, uh, like, I played, I played in a post-apocalyptic game. Because I played a Judge's Guild-based world for most of, my, most of my life. And so you'd have, uh, you'd find a hand grenade or a laser rifle or something like that occasionally, because that's just what I had. I mean, the city state of the Invincible Overlord has a, has a strange old artifact edifice. Now, almost nobody notices the read Bob's work on that, but it's called Emig IV, uh, and it's the center of the town, and no one can ever figure out why when the dragons attacked the town, they all got blown out of there by his, by his, uh, his, uh, his apprentice autocannon. <laughs> um, and you know, and that, that's an oft-overlooked thing about that. And um, he wrote a really interesting thing called "The War of the Pious Philosopher." It's I think in a box set we did twenty years ago or whatever. You have, you have a question? Um, just on the side, <coughs> that sort of, you tell me how you're. Absolutely. Like I mentioned, the thing with search spot checks or whatever earlier. A good example would be uh, searching for a secret door. Okay, so the elf notices something weird in with the wall, right? Um, don't you, you roll your d6 because they automatically detect it on a one inch chance or whatever it is. But then, how do you open it? What do you do? There's a wire running along. You know, do you cut the wire? You know, or do you pull the wire? Or do you, you know, what do you do? And so you have to sometimes work that stuff through. I don't let thieves disarm trap. I describe what is there, and they tell me what they do. And you know, maybe if they have a high disarm ability or something like that, it's called delicate task and swordry. But if they have a high ability in that, maybe I'll give them more clues than I would to somebody else. But keep in mind, the original D&D didn't have thieves, so anybody could disarm a trap. But you had to describe how you were going to do it. So. Um, it's all based on role play. Yep. Yeah, everything's based on role play, and it's and that's just it. Like I, I was talking earlier about how I don't give experience points for monsters, right? Um, that is another another piece of the OSR kind of canon, if you will, or the way that it used to be done back in the dawn of time by all us old old, old white guys. Um, <laughs> was uh, you get experience points for treasure, and you got experience points for objectives, and so um, I give zero zero XP for monster in my game. None. You don't get a, you don't get a point for a monster. Now for defeating that monster, if it was the evil badass thing that you know was destroying the kingdom and everything else, you're going to get points for restoring the kingdom to safety, but you're not going to get points for killing the monster. Um, and really, it was the it was about about uh, character success and failures rather than beating the hell out of stuff and stealing it, stealing it stuff. Um, and almost every game since AD&D, the experience points were very, very concentrated around killing monsters. You know, that's really interesting because, you know, I talk to, you know, I try and get more women into, to, for our listeners, if you look into our, our sea of people that are kind of, <laughs> like there are two women in the audience. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot of what I hear is there's too many rules. There's 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 it's too there's too many things that I have to figure out. There's there's too much stuff that I have to memorize, and it's and and it's all about going into dungeons and killing things. It's like that's not what I understand the OSR, and it's never been what I've understood the OSR. So it's weird to me how that actual perception has actually gotten out there in the world, and that I don't want to do OSR stuff because going through a dungeon and just stuff. That's, that's not yeah. really what it is. Oh, there's no role playing. Well, it's almost all role playing because you know there's so many so few rules that you actually have to apply to the game, and, and I, it's I, too hard to learn. Well, it's I mean I, I, I needed to refresh my, my memory on the Swords and Wizardry rules, so it took me ten minutes to read through it on the plane flight over here. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm done, I'm ready to go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and stuff like that. The art direction, uh, my sure, own personal sure. design, and stuff from all the names. Sure. So, make something on the plane. I think it's oh. really. Oh. No, you were coming. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's really important to draw from all those sources, too. And I think that allowing yourself to be open to channeling all these different things, um, and sort of like run them through your filter and then just use whatever your OSR rule set is for that and such, I think it's a real advantage of it. You don't have to, you know, like if, if I wanted to, like what, what show are you watching now? You know what I'm saying? What's a, you know, Firefly. Uh, say, okay, say Firefly. If I wanted to sit down and do a Pathfinder Firefly game and such, that is months of figuring out feats and classes and all that mm -hmm. and such. You know, we had, you know, dice and paper on the table right now. We could literally do it, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, on the fly and such because you got a real basic rule set. But, you know, we're all, you know, you know we're, we're passionate about that kind of, like, game and such. And, and the, the OSR allows you to sort of, like, take all those disparate, you know, influences and just quickly, you know, come up with an aesthetic for, or come up with, a, like, like, very fast systems for what it is you want to do in any genre, you know? So that's a real advantage, I think. Yeah, that's kind of something that I want to actually push with some of the kind of the things that we do the idea because because you know, one of the things that I, I'm trying to do is get more and I think part of that is I mean it, one of the I try to push the OSR kind of idea because you know you really you've got seven you know that's 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 really all that you've got and everything else that you put on top of that is you know just dressing and you put on top of it so it's super easy to design a game around anything that you want any fandom that you like mm -hmm. any show that you like anything that, that you're looking for and then it doesn't take a lot of effort and actually run or really doing this and I've seen tons of people exact thing <laughs> <laughs> he has been the scapegoat for a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty-four hours. I guess Stanley's got the plague. So. Well, it's funny. Hey, the, the book you read or the song you read. My daughters run uh, three convention games after list, after learning how to play on the guitar. Hotel California, and, uh, and, and, uh, and she based. I think that was even in the program oh, last awesome. year. Mm -hmm. She's based all. Uh, Tiffany twisted yeah. ended up being a, a, a corrupted silver dragon. You had to figure out how to. Uh, uh, they had to make her uninsane in order to survive, in order to win, if you will, the adventure. Um, and so it was, you know, there was there, all the references to the song were pieces of her dungeon, and um, it was it was pretty it was pretty it was pretty clever. Right? And uh, um, so yeah, it's, a lot of it is you know basing you know using experiences or your whether it's reading or hearing a song or whatever it might be. Um, I mean that's how the game got invented, right? I mean he's read Tales of the Dying Earth knows that knows where the prismatic spray came from. Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. Uh, one of my best writers. Um, a uh, guy named Lance Hovermill, if anybody's familiar with his work, uh, he did like Woody Lurks and uh, Eamon, nah, he was in the deal, he did, uh, uh, oh, the one with the undead city, and he's working on the Starfinder community right now. Um, he uh, he doubled as a fake woman writing uh, like Harlequin Romance, he, that's what he did, yeah. did for an actual living. Uh, and so you get the you get the concept there, right? Yeah. Art. Yeah, yeah. And I hate 
I think that we're sort of like dropping barriers to it by, you know, like, like as a male creator, you know, of stuff, I try to be more inclusive and add more types of it. Hopefully that will lead to this next generation of people who will go, yeah, there's something in this for me. There's something in this. It's not just another version of, you know, the same thing that's been coming out again. something I can see myself in. And that will spark that interest to get people to, to do their own, you know, their own, you know, versions of whatever it is. And the, the more, yeah, the, the, if our hobby, and I love our hobby, I love our tribe, and I want it to survive forever ever and ever and outlast me by a million which means making it as big as possible we've always been inclusive but like making it even like you know inclusive to all that diversity that we that we sort of like reaching out to like the the, the pockets that we don't you know we haven't really like hit yet you know what i'm saying some of us even little stuff in games um like in, in our home game uh the three fighter characters are all the girls Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and then the, uh, the the wizards, which you know, always it was always the girl wizard and the yeah. you know, and and, and mm-hmm. the, the boy fighters, and the boy clerics, and the boy thieves. Uh, the, but three of the three of my four girls, uh, one plays paladin, two play fighters, and uh, the boys are the wizard, the thief, the uh, you know, the uh, they're, they're they're the soft classes, which is really hilarious because it gets the girls of what you would consider to be strength. Um, and uh, you know, they're the, they're the, they're the big tough ones, which which is actually hilarious because. You never saw that. So it, the, the only writing difference in the third edition, the third printing of sort of being the second, is that I actually changed, talked to Matt about it. The play example had basically the, the only female in the group, the only woman in the group. All she really did was hold a lantern and make sarcastic comments. <laughs> that was really it. Every, you know, the guys did everything else. So, I mean, I kept the text pretty much the same, but all I really had to do was change the, the, the names and the genders, just, just flop them around. The, uh, I made a, the, the woman, a woman as a GM so that you, know, you could see that in there. Yeah. And you know, one of the guys is playing a female character, you know, all, and all that kind of stuff. I just kind of switched it up a little bit so that it, it, was, it wasn't quite the same stereotype that you just, the women yeah. playing the softer characters. And it's not rebuilding a castle. It's just adjusting things yeah. slightly right. to make it more inclusive. Right. And it's easy to do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I, I, really, I feel like, stop me if I'm wrong here, but I really feel like OSR is doing that better than anyone, right? You know, I, I really do. Pathfinder does okay at it. Just yes. Saying. Yes. <laughs> but you know, you know. Yeah. I mean, just saying. I mean, uh, uh, it's it's hard to argue with my friend. Uh, my friend. Uh, my friend Lisa's not uh, large in charge, and uh, and uh, has had a, uh, as a inclusive diversity, whatever you want to call it. Um, sure. Well, she's the boss, man. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, frankly, I'm doing this because she talked me into it, into doing it again after I shut down Necromancer uh, 08. Um, but yeah, I think we, I think the OSR, the OSR movement as a whole, I would agree, um, is making strides. And I think part of that is alluding to what you said earlier. It's that the, the rules since aren't entertaining. I mean, the rules thing I just, I just handed you guys. Um, you could play the game for a month just using that piece of paper I gave. Um, you'd need to figure out what to do after third level, I suppose. But, heck, <laughs> you, could, but you could make it up. Um, and the the uh, the entirety of uh, the core necessary rule set, you know, is maybe captured ten or fifteen pages of a book. It's not. It's not a. Uh, it's not uh, intimidating rules. And rules lawyers aren't going to go get you. You're you're the boss, man. You're the exactly. Yeah. You want to do what? Okay, sure. Roll this. And that's a huge intimidation that's... factor. And is that there there and and anybody who is the typical OSR game, typical you know, gamer. Um, and and it's 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 this. I hear this over and over and over. I'm afraid that I don't know. I'm afraid yeah. that that I don't know enough. I'm afraid that somebody's going to call me out, and, and then I'm going to I'm going to have to stop and look through things and, and figure it out. And and some of that is well. In a lot of gaming, you do a lot of stopping and, and yeah. flipping through things. You know, you just need to understand that actually happens sometimes. And and in OSR games in particular, you know, something that's simpler like this, you don't actually have that much to deal with, especially when it's you are the boss. You know, you're yeah. you're the GM. 
them. It's like, if you don't want to use that rule, you're not going to use that rule. You know? <laughs> We're going to make up something new because, or I don't feel like looking it up, so I'm just going to make up something else. So let me, let me throw in something on what you just said, almost the inverse of that, but it's, it's a little Uncle Billy story time, so bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, about 50 or 60 years ago, my wife, not again, right? But, you know, she married me and realized my book, my books were like on Barnes and Noble and stuff, and so that was okay. And she was glad that I was a gamer because I was bringing home a book from it. But uh, her and three of the wives, the three children, right? Krista was actually pregnant at the time. We're playing in an old adventure that a guy named Bill Knauer wrote, and I helped him write, called Vault of Blair and Carr. I know at least a couple of you guys have probably read that or something. I know you have. Um, anyway, one of the things is you got to, you got to, in that adventure, is you're trying to find these three gems to open this locked thing, right? And uh, we'd written this thing up where, like, the mayor's wife has one of the gems on her necklace. And so the whole scenario is around how, you know, the players can steal it, right? And that's, like, how we'd written the book. And it's like, oh, they, they, the thieves can do this. And we had all these rules about breaking into the mayor's house at night and everything else. So what the, what the, what the girls did was they, uh, the ladies, was uh, they figured out that the mayor had a mistress because it was also in the book. They figured this out. And so they went to his mayor's wife and were like, that thing around your neck is a symbol of his the atrocity of his infidelity and you should throw it away. And they like totally, they, I mean, I was intimidated. I'm sitting there, these four, four adult women are like yelling at me because I was betraying the mayor's wife at the time. And I'm like, you're right, this thing sucks. Like, they, came up, they came up with an entirely different way yeah. than we as the design team had come up with for the party to get the thing they needed to open this this treasure hoard, right? And it was like you the, uh, the inclusive the inclusion of, of folks in your game it's like I would say with kids they don't know what they don't know and women don't think like men think and men don't think like women think and so the broader perspective you got the better your game is it's just it's just awesome and and uh, um, you know I, I was telling the story a little bit earlier too some on similar vein where the girls got done with human horrors after they smoked it they just destroyed it they had like three three fatalities um, but when you get that you get the, the who don't think like you think my daughter complained it was too easy. <laughs> Dirk. Wow. So, you know, meanwhile, the, the 400 people over my career of DMing that I've killed in that dungeon <laughs> would disagree with her. But the yeah. girls the girls just turned it inside out. And little boys, too. I mean, they just they didn't have a problem, problem at all. It was, yeah. it was, it was way too far. It was funny. When I was, when I was really little and moved, I would mom play. And I would run games. I must have been like, you know, and like, I remember running the Sinister Secret Assault March for my mother, who was such a good sport. You know what I mean? Like, bless her. Bless her heart. So um, at one point, there's a giant spider that's like crawling down. I'm like describing this, this giant spider coming down the thing. My mom's like, oh. And she looks at her spell. She goes, oh, I have enlarged. I cast enlarged on my spell book. I just squash it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Go mom. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, giant spider, giant book. There you go. Yeah, a shoe. Yeah, exactly. It's like such a, but like, just that, I, that wouldn't have occurred to me, I'm, no. I'm, I'm going sling stones. I'm and using that story now. I'm telling that story. That's, <laughs> awesome. that's brilliant. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about the USR too, is because it encourages creative use of the tools yeah. that you have. Yes, 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 yes. I think that to me, the the as far as like like you know, design is one thing, but at the table. Only rule is fun at the table, you know. Yeah. And sometimes yeah, the best nights you'll have, or you're just sitting around laughing your heads off, or failing your heads off, and just enjoying it and creating those stories and those mutually shared memories. That's the best, you know. Yeah. Like those moments where you know, where where whatever it is, it is you just have that that level of fun where it's like I cannot wait to get back next week and get with people again yeah. and such. <coughs> you know, and sometimes it's great to have a good you know spade of dice. Sometimes it's great to to you know crush your enemies and find the gold and such. But sometimes it's just funny to come and have role play and. and with jokes and to to 
like really just amp up that end of it. This is a game, it's supposed to be fun, and you let the fun lead you wherever it leads you, no matter what's going on. And sometimes that leads to, I think, to coming up with like weird role-playing game situations and things, like where you're, because you're just going with it, even though uh, maybe this is improbable, we're having such a good time. If we don't go with this and we try, it's like, wait, 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 hold on. Let's get serious here for a minute. It's an absolute crime against the E. So I I think that was one of the things, OSR gives you those tools to, to just like, you know, Roll with it and say, sure. Let's let's come up with a, a system for whatever craziness, you know. Well, the, the lack of rules feeds into that. And the, another another Uncle Billy story time I'll tell is we're at, in Dallas. Anybody who's played my con games, they they go over from year to year. So if you have your character, you play in one of my con games or Matt finishes con games. You bring your character back next year, still play him, and they keep gaining experience points. There's this girl named uh, woman named Jennifer who's been going to Dallas now for about eight years to the North Texas RPG Con and plays in our games every year. Plays basically they spend, she and her husband spend the entire time with Matt and I playing game. Um, and uh, her character um, made 21 in a row saving throws against poison. I got attacked by a rope. <laughs> and I was like, I was just laughing because I'm like, Geez. my roper's getting butchered by everybody because he's got the big fighter and it's all trying to take her down. And I make my save. I make my save. I make my save. <laughs> and but you know the, the entire table is like standing up cheering, make it, make it, make it. And finally, I'm like on number 20, 21. I'm like Jen, if you make this one, your character's just immune to poison. Completely immune to poison forever. Boom, seventeen. Ha! I'm immune to poison. And, like, you know, and so you know, and uh, so but being able to do that, I mean, we had like I had probably had twenty or twenty-two or twenty-three, whatever, some number of people in that room all standing there like cheering and yelling and high-fiving and stuff for her to make her saves. And it was it was really fun. I mean, because it's not like, you know, it's not like uh, that's against the rules. You can't do that. I don't do whatever they say. You know, and so I'm like, yeah, okay, you, you can do that. You know, it's it, it, it really does, uh, it creates sort of a, I guess, it, you're right, it's a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a Being able to tell these stories is one of why we do. Yes, <laughs> the shared stories that everyone has yeah. about your role-playing yeah. games, that's the beauty. Well, the whole thing that... I- no plan of GMs or the players because oh, yeah. you never know. You can, this is the yeah. way they're going to do it and never do it the way you think. Ooh. So you got to improv. Yep. Oh, my kids piss me off with that all the time. I'll be like, Adventure Hook. Yeah, we're go- that sounds like vampires. We're going to go over here. Adventure Hook. Oh, that sounds like trolls. Screw that. Adventure Hook. That sounds like giants. We're gonna go here. I don't want to kill the red dragon. Yeah, I, know. I know. So, so given that, uh, well, I mean, because there you're meant to. It depends on whether you like my style of stuff or not. Um, <laughs> I, um, uh, really, you can kind of pick your poison on that. Um, I, uh, I, I, my monsters are monsters. When I say they're a monster, it probably means you're not going to win, right? So you don't want to fight the monsters. So the way I do stuff is um, there's a way to beat stuff, um, but it's usually not charge. Um, sometimes it is, but usually it's just not charge. Um, I mean, it kind of depends on what your players like to do and... and uh, uh, and what you like to do as a DM, and and um, that's a really it's such an open-ended question that it's it's really variable. I, I think it's like what he said a minute ago was if it's fun, then do more of it. If it ain't fun, then do something different. And so if you're if you're if you care, lot, lots of player lots of player groups like to hack and slay stuff, right, man? They like to chop stuff up. Um, my my three groups I play with. I'm a player in, in one in the winners game on Mondays, and then I have a Tuesday night game I run in city, and then I play with my kids usually once a weekend. The three games I play uh, are very different, and with with Steve's group, it's very um, socially interactive. So there's a lot of dealing with Strahd on on Halloween night, but we didn't fight anything, right? And it was all kind of a political intrigue. With my Tuesday night game, they're uh, hex crawling, run around the wilderness, uh, find interesting stuff, kill monsters, get treasure. Boy, we sure want to build that castle, you know, type group. Uh, with my kids and, and that, that game group, um, and this keeps me on my toes because they like puzzles and traps. 
And so they want to solve stuff. They want riddles. They want um, they want creative solutions to things. Uh, you know, they want they they don't they don't really they don't they try to avoid fighting at all costs. They absolutely try to avoid fighting. Um, but they like to they like to they they like to look like uh, uh, if you give them a really complex uh, puzzle situation, they're psyched. And that's that's the type of thing they like. So it really depends on what you like doing. I don't think there's a I don't think there's yeah. one answer to that. I think for, for um, oh, do you have a question? Go ahead. Did you find um, because I've been playing with my kids um, pretty regularly. So the girls were about. Jillian was the only one who played real young. Uh, Johnny Dubit, my son, my son, my daughter. But the other, the other, all the godchildren kind of swooped in. About the girls were probably about ten or eleven. I guess Tracy might have been nine. Um, but they were, they were, so they were two years after my own children to play. Um, not really uh, with them. I haven't seen a whole lot of. Uh, um, and the way they run games is very similar to the way that we play games. Um, like I said, the ancient silver dragon, you're not supposed to kill it, but it's going to kill you. Now, how you figure out how to solve it? That was Jillian's. John has a thing now with uh, uh, Werewolf Adventure he's been running that um, you, your first level, you're not going to kill wolf, right? The idea is you have, you have to kill the werewolf, but you're not going to kill the werewolf by bat, by beating. Um, and the real goal in that adventure, this is his, you guys will probably see print in a couple of years, um, is to cure the werewolf. So you get way, you're doing way better, you get way more stuff, stuff being experience points and treasure and everything else for curing the wolf than you do by killing the wolf. And so, it, again, that's the puzzle deal for um, I, So my, my children have not changed a whole lot. Um, I'm not sure that others wouldn't. Question, yeah. Sure. I see the inclusive. I see. Yeah, that's how we learn. My youngest figured out when Dyson happened. Main gauche was a vocabulary <laughs> question on my uh, SATs. <laughs> totally yeah. serious. I, got, I mean, I never would have known it was a parrying dagger if I would have played it. You know, just saying. Yeah, my, my, my son could multiply when he was four because he was learning how to play D and D, figured out how to do addition, multiplication, subtraction. Yeah. I mean, not division, but the rest. Um, and he because he understood times two times three. Oh yeah, I get it. You know, and uh, and so you know it was not much of a stretch for him to. And he's also four years ahead math at this, so he's pretty talented naturally. But um, but uh, yeah, kids learn amazing stuff. And I had the conversation with somebody last week at a convention. They had a little five year old girl, and I, I gave her a copy of Swords Wizard. That was the book. I just gave her a hardcover book because I was like, I want you know, honey, I want you your dad's job to teach you how to read this. You come back and play games next year. And I was asked her if she played D&D, &D, and she said she's trying to learn, you know. And, and I was like, can you read yet? She goes, no, I'm still in kindergarten. And I was like, all right, Dad, here's your job to try to read this. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's highly motivated to learn. Um, I was wondering, great. Do you, I expect, like, no, you know, and they spoke me most, was more experienced. Older brothers, yeah. <laughs> played it better. Don't matter what they're reading, as long as they're reading. You know, the, uh, <laughs> two older brothers ended up killing themselves in fighting in the game. So it was, it was very... Yeah. My, my godson, Cash, um, two years ago, so he's nine, and uh, at PaizoCon, was running his con game. Mm -hmm. My son wasn't brave enough to do it, he was 11, but my godson was. And uh, we took, you know, Skeeter and me, and we take him to the table, set him up. He's got a table like an adult, man, right? And uh, he shows up, and they're kind of looking around, where are you DMing this? I didn't see his use. Somebody in cash. Said, this is Cash Hubbard. He's like, that tall, he's a little leprechaun kid. And um, there you can see the look on their face like, oh, shit. <laughs> we got the kid. God, that was suck. The entire table came down to my booth after. It was like, oh my God, where'd you get it? <laughs> yeah. and they were like, this is the best con game I've ever experienced. That's phenomenal. And same kind of thing, man. He's, he, he's read every book. He's, he constantly, he's reading, you know, because he asked me, you know, you know, I've read all the real books, you know, da, 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 I get that. What should I read? I'm like, all right, here's the collected works of Conan the Barbarian. Here's H.P. Lovecraft. Here's Robert Ashton Smith. Because I have all those leather bound British that came out a few years ago. He used to be, they're like hundreds of bucks. They, these, so I lent him each one and he's read all of them. You know, I must learn. I must learn. I must master how to how to run these these games. His motivation was not not to read a bunch of literature. His motivation was to be a good dungeon master. Yeah. And but by doing that, the kid probably read five thousand words of you know good sci-fi fantasies. 
Uh, so it was, it was cool. It was really cool. And you're absolutely right that the little ones get them young enough, they're highly motivated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they want to role play more though. Oh yeah. So what I did to the character by your gear, they have to go. Awesome. Yeah. I like that. I like that. <laughs> really, really. Yeah, yeah. That is fun. My daughter did that where she's buying uh, buying uh, pets. She had a character with four intelligence. And so she kept buying pets every time you go to Bardsgate. And, uh, <laughs> so you go to Bardsgate, and there was this merchant that was taking advantage of her, selling her like stray cats and mice, a pet mouse. Here, you can have this for five silver pieces. You know, that you send the guy out back into the alley to catch one and throw it in a box. And uh, eventually, she bought so many pets from this, this guy that he started feeling guilty. He's like, no, no, really? <laughs> you know, she bought like 20 pets. She had to pay 10 gold pieces for this kid. Yeah, it was a feral cat in the street the guy caught. He was like, yeah, this thing's nuts. And you can sell her anything. And it was, but it was same, the playing through of the, the minor details sometimes is as much fun as fighting the dragon. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> you can? Yeah. Sure. And you should follow them. When the small details change things, follow them and go in that direction and see where it leads you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really like the art. It's going to be great. Yeah, both, both, both Matt, Matt and I were real with the work, particularly the cover. I, I like, love that cover. Cover. <laughs> that's not Ender's game. My, my, my immediate take was, that's Ender's game. And Matt was like, no, it's a dragon skull. You know, and I was like, it was. But it was like, I saw the, I saw the butterfly queen from Ender's game, like clearly. And it was like, wow. It's, but that's the point, right? Yeah, it's, it is it's, the point. What yeah. do you see? You know? but, uh, coming back to the art, we've got about 50 left. I want to touch on this since we're back to the art. Is um, going back to the earlier discussion of what, what in an OSR product, what art what makes it OSR art. And one thing that I've got to say, even going back on the nostalgic, back in the day, the books that we had all had a multitude of artists in them sure. with different styles. Yeah. And in the modern RPGs that you tend to get, even when they hire 20 different artists, they airbrush everything so that it all has the same aesthetic it's and look. And it's, yeah. it, it's yeah. kind of terrible because I don't want to see everything in this book look the same. I want to see all of these artists in a unique perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because I think that's the same thing. No, no, sure <laughs> it's no. Because even if I'm, if I'm looking through you know, the 5th edition Monster Manual versus the 1st edition Monster Manual, even if the art in the 1st edition Monster Manual is as quote-unquote professional, it's, yeah. I get to see a multitude of different art styles in the book yeah. versus everything being this homogenized thing of this is how your game needs to look this is what everything looks like and it, it, that detracts from imagination you've got a multitude of art styles in a thing it, you know that your game uh, just looking at it that tells subconscious my game doesn't have to uh, have to appeal to any specific yeah. aesthetic or you can style go this direction, go this direction. Yeah. The, when you think of i think part of yeah, yeah. yeah. I think well, up the uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics real book. Goodman Games does it. Uh, yeah. Frog God does it. Yeah. Most uh, he's not in the corner anymore. But earlier I saw, saw uh, Del Tegler sitting over there. He's currently working on uh, a bunch of the art for the new Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers of Hyperborea. Lots that has a, that's a nice product. That has a multitude of different people with different styles yeah. in it, and I think that's a big part of what makes the art in an OSR product. In OSR product, yeah, I like that too. And I think that when you think of Dungeon Crawl Classics specifically, you know, you you can't help but immediately associate with like Doug Kovacs and all of the because you know he's got such a he's had such an influence over the shape of the game, both artistically mm -hmm. and as far as like the rules. I mean, really the the kind of the bare bones aesthetic of it. Yeah. But um, yeah, there but are you, also well, you've also got guys like. Uh, We've got one of one of your artists here, local Stefan Stefan Pope. Is he here? No, he's not here, but he's local. Oh, like, I, <laughs> he usually comes Saturday, so we might see him tomorrow. Nice. Yeah. Cool. He he lives like an hour away. Cool. But yeah, um, you know, he's got a very 
uh, when we're, you're talking about a Goodman product, he has a very diverse style that's very different yeah. from uh, from Doug's. Yeah. Uh, Bradley McDivitt yeah. uh, it does awesome work in there yeah. as well. He also has a very different aesthetic. Yeah, Brad, but it, it all works, and and I'd rather flip through the book and see a bunch of different art again yeah. than seeing you know. You know, I wanted to keep a little bit of conceit, so the way that I did that is that I had like one artist worked on all of the spells, mm-hmm. for example. One oh. artist worked on all of the monster, you mm-hmm. know, and I tried to keep it that way so that yep. you had consistency throughout the chapter, mm-hmm. but you still had a whole bunch of different art styles that you had viewpoints were Yeah, and well, you also did, if I'm, if I'm correct, um, it, rather than a homogenized look to unify the entire book, your borders that you're putting in there are, are different with each chapter. Consi- yeah, yeah there's ten different borders that are different for a different chapter. You're, so you can actually figure out where you are in the book. Which, that's really, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Glad you could have used it. Thank you. you were saying... Yeah, like I was like, wow, I really want these characters mm-hmm. to yeah. saying, and yeah. like dangerous. I'm like, okay, yeah, these look like that, 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 that's awesome. I think that this I think is the that, thing I have to be afraid of. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that cool. doing that was kind of ingenious on your part. Okay, yeah. thank you. Really <laughs> Here's a question. Oh. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Cool. I, I also love the character sheet that you did too. All yeah, yeah, she just, Angela did a great job with those. It's just, just the, and I, and I have like visions of people sitting with their character sheets, coloring in, you know, <laughs> all those, all those playing, yeah. and you know, all those kind of stuff. Stuff that I like to do when yeah. I'm gaming. I love, <laughs> I love, and I, I collect player art. Like I, every, when I, when I see someone like doing a sketch at a convention, I always go, I got a picture of that. So I have like a, a nice little bank of like all these. Because some, you know, sometimes you'll look up and you'll be like, oh my gosh, did you really do that? So you started playing. Yeah. And you'll see this amazing, like, you know, and I mean, I, I, I do it. It's just, Awful. But every once in a while, even that, if you do it enough times, every once in a while you knock one out of the park and you're like, yeah, this really tells the story of what my guy looks like to yeah. me. And maybe it wouldn't sell it. You couldn't put it in a book or whatever. But, I, I you know. won't lie. The accidental, sometimes you knock it out of the park, is how we got the. Uh, the new Swords and Wizardry compatibility logo that I released this past yeah, yeah. season. Yeah, <laughs> that, that brand new one that was me just doodling around and tossing stuff away, trying to draw again because I've drawn like I was a teenager. And I'm like, wow, this one's really That's cool. Great. I yeah. gotta slap that words on this and make it the new logo. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, who else has anything? Because I've got to run a game in about 10 minutes. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to close us out. I have this big plan. All right. All right. All right. I'm going to do it. He just made that up. No, I've been, I've been planning it this whole time. You know what? I'll make so one. Everybody, everybody's going to get an assignment from me before they leave. But go ahead. I'll make one more design point as far as like actually designing something for publication. I think that um, your really good GMs don't, don't need um, very much at all. But you don't design for them. Design for the person that yeah. does need a lot. So when you're designing your own stuff, put in that detail, put in those specific things, and give them a very concrete plan so that they can come and run it linear A, B, C, D. Your good GMs and your good players will go off book anyway, and you don't have to worry about them. You know what I'm saying? So as far as, like, if you're designing something for that, don't... There's a, I think there's a, a temptation to say, well, I'm a great GM, all my players are great, so I'll just put in the vaguest bits of everything and such. You know, it's, it's like jazz. You have to have a very serious like structure that then everyone can improvise over. So um, when, don't, don't, don't write the improvis- impro- improvisation into the dungeon. Leave that to the players and the GM. Give them all the concrete stuff they need to great improvisers. <coughs> Yeah. The name was Mike Carlson, in case you... <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, that's like 500 experience points when he gets back to your game <laughs> next week. <laughs> and pizza. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody's assignment. 
Okay, everybody has an assignment before I get back next year. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I'll be back next year, and you guys can, you know, pick on me then. But everybody should go out and get somebody who's never played before to play at least one. Yeah. And, and just do that. Yeah, I like and, that. And, uh, it, and, and, get your and, you know, mom to play. Get your mom to play. Get your kid to play. <laughs> get somebody else's kid to play. Uh, and, uh, but somebody who hasn't played before. Next year, at this, whatever seminar topic we have next year, if I see your face, I'll say, did you get somebody new to play? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but, but please do that. It's, uh, it's a rewarding hobby. It teaches people stuff. It, it, it's, uh, you know, it forces social interaction, which in this day of the stupid iPhones, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you know, uh, uh, one thing, and my daughter actually doesn't have like a Facebook or Twitter or anything else account, and I think it's because she reads so much and she plays so much, so many games. Um, my son doesn't play a lot of video games; he gets bored with them quick because they're not socially interactive. Um, there, there's a real benefit to that, and, and you know, as we all have this stuff. And we all do, and I'm as guilty as everybody, you know. Uh, we become slightly more uh, Android, no pun intended, uh, and robotic, uh, and, and less social. Yeah, I know. Well, my kids had them at six, but they don't, they don't, they don't shit about them. They, just, they, they, they use the phones for phones. And they text back and forth with this and stuff, but they're not constantly with it. You know, the, the, the joke about, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, putting the, uh, the comatose teenage girl uh, oh. turning her off because, she, yeah. you know, you all constantly glued to her phone does not apply to my kids. Um, and uh, but I, but you look around and it applies to most. And it applies to me half the time. I'm not just I spent three hours on the phone today too. I mean I, I know I did. Uh, but we're all becoming slightly more zombie-like. Uh, and uh, if you can get people playing games and having social interactions, yep. it helps a little bit. It's a good mental health thing, to being around other people, especially people that are like you, that you like to hang and yeah. stuff like. And gaming gives you a reason to hang out. Good. We had that conversation in my gaming room a couple weeks ago. That especially, I've, I one of my buddies that's in my uh, normal Friday night. Uh, we've been playing together. Since we were eight, yeah. and you know, it's, it's and we looked at it. And, you know, there were a couple times hanging out so much. You didn't come back to get those points together. We probably be hanging out. Yeah. To this day, and see, it, yeah. sa it saves me five hundred bucks a week. I get a day job in the city. I live two and a half hours from it, so I just live at Wolfgang Bauer's house two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know him if it wasn't for the hobby. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's, there you go. Right? Right? Yeah. So, any, any closing thoughts before he closes? Yeah. Anybody else? Last call? Four Oof. seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Four seconds for me. I don't know. A couple of sessions for me to get it really where I feel like, okay, um, you know, I'll, 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 I usually I design improv first and I'll, I'll just kind of like have like sketchy, I'll, I'll make up monsters and I'll have kind of a sketchy idea of what I want to do. And I'll sort of like follow the players around like the sandbox in my mind and such. If I do that a couple of times, then I feel pretty good about it, you know. I tend to just create the environment. The huge dice have now been produced from the bag. It's all visual, yeah. He looks much more than a little. Probably about nineteen eighty, and uh, it's the only it's the only dice I ever used when I ran. So it's it's a, it's like it's a, it's a part of me. It's like that thing's like you know it's, yeah, I feel I feel like I was missing foot if I didn't have that thing. That six sider I bought Gen Con one, but yeah, it's, uh, I bought it as a present to my daughter. She forgot it. <laughs> you know it's pink, right? So I bought it for my, my little two year old girl. You know because she couldn't swallow it. That's why I bought it. She couldn't choke to death on it. Um, 
My husband yeah. has one of those. He's a, he's a high school teacher at the bathroom. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's awesome. No, it's, it's the D6. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the exactly the bathroom. Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I, 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 the, the only bummer with those things with D6 particularly, I actually broke our di our uh, like living room like, nah. coffee table. I kept expecting you to break the one last night. I thought I might. I, I, broke, I, broke, I broke a table in our house one time. Just shattered the shit out of it. Rolled the thing. Clank. Right through it, right? Because it weighs like, I don't know, eight ounces. You roll. It's <laughs> a good question. I actually don't know. But it's, but it's, yeah. Yeah. Check. You can only go if you have to urinate. <laughs> Speaking of which, we better close up because I gotta go running. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah. about time. Yeah. We have yeah, about 15 up. minutes before people are gonna flood in their games. Yeah. Cool. And if anybody's not doing anything at eight, I, I, have, I think I only had 11 or 12 people sign up. Um, That's not nearly it. enough for you, man. I'll cap it at 20, but if anybody wants to show up, you're welcome to. No, you can't, you can't come because you were in my game last week, and I'm thinking of running something really somewhere. Done. Oh yeah, thank you. Um, so huge thank you to Bill Webb, the Frog God team, Bill Webb, and Stay Still Fire, and to Goodman Games, Brendan LaSalle, and to Ryan Thompson, who you set up the OSR track, right? Yep. And you organized yeah. a lot of stuff. So. This is a really well-run convention. People, yeah. should, people should go to this it. This is a, so great, it's a great, con, great con. Yeah. We are all in agreement that UConn <laughs> is awesome. Yep. So show up, Truly. buy a ticket, come hang out with us. Um, you know, this year, next year, every year. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drink Spin Run. If you like what you've heard, share us with your friends, leave us an iTunes review, or email us at dsr at kickassistan.net. You can also support us at patreon.com slash dsrcast. Our theme music was generously provided by the band Blue Snaggletooth, who you can find at bluesnaggletooth.bandcamp.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you join us next time, you gorgeous listeners. Listener.